Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. You're listening to Wins Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network with Van Burnett and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back, everybody. It is Wins Above Fantasy, episode 118. Today is Thursday, September 21st. Got a fun show ahead, talking lessons learned. Steve and I, as we wrap up season three of Wins Above Fantasy, which is still crazy to think about. Hopefully, we're getting a little bit better and better every year as we do this, which I don't know about you, Steve, but I've been saying that for 22, 23 years now. So uh, we would hope we're learning lessons. We'll we'll get into some fun process stuff, look at some of the different leagues that we're in, definitely talk some players. Uh, but overall, this is kind of uh, one of our final shows before we have end-of-season stats for different players. So we thought it was a good time to take a step back, look at, you know, basically the the rear view on what we could have done better or what we did that worked well. And this is always a fun show to kind of uh, gut check as we get into March draft season, uh, which I already can't wait. And and when we do have those drafts, you kind of stop and say, like, did I actually follow the lessons learned show? Because this is the time where we kind of do the postmortem. Steve, looking forward to it as always. Good to see you, man. Sorry about the uh, household craziness going on for you guys and and the dog, everything, uh, but such is life. Sounds like uh, you're going through it a little bit at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, uh, You know, fading and and barely crossing the finish line here um, (laughs) as we have one more regular season show left after this. Um, yeah, dealing with the water main break it, uh, a few blocks away. Uh, the dog has some stomach issues, um, which is not fun. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm glad I got an hour or so here to step away from the madness and talk about baseball and yeah, see if we learned anything this year, which I think we did. Me too. Me too. Work, work has been particularly insane for me. And actually Steve, you know, for our listeners who are listening this deep in the season, you guys are you guys are diehards. Uh, I got to give a, a, a sincere, a brief, heartfelt shout out because I don't think I've ever told you this, Steve. But my dad was actually the original commissioner of our home league, fantastic commissioner for I believe it was eleven years until I took over for the past eleven. So my dad, eleven years ago today, actually passed away. Sadly. Uh, pancreatic cancer, but all day work was so crazy. When you get this far away from it, you feel like kind of this hidden pressure to like commemorate, but then, you know, life gets in the way. So all day I I was, I was in this spot of like, you know, do I, do I go down to the cemetery? And then I looked at kind of the rest of the day that I had planned beyond all the work meetings. I was like, I get to talk fantasy baseball, which is one of the biggest bonding things I had with my dad, my brother as well. 
Uh, and yeah, I had to give a shout out to the the OG commission of the home league. Uh, just ample moments that stand out as special moments. But he he was the one that on draft day, everything he would always put out famous quotes to like the league post page and say, "Some days in life are worth repeating." And he would put it every every year for the draft. So like special memories. Had to give a shout out to to pops who also worked on radio. So this has like multiple tie-ins. And I don't think I've ever told you that, so I wanted to share at the top of the show here. No, you didn't, man. That's uh, and it's really special to hear that uh, coming from you, and I'm honored to be a part of it. And you know, that's uh, that's awesome that you're continuing his legacy and his love for this game that we love so much. Um, I'm sure he's and would be proud of what you're doing, and you know the hard work you put into this, and and how good you have become at this. So. It's it's special to be able to share that moment with you, and uh, thank you for sharing that with us and the listeners. Hey, hey, no problem. And, and and the fun segue out of that is he was also famous for, in about the fifth round of every draft ever, he would look up at the rest of the league and say, I hate my team. So this show is to, to help us avoid that moment of hating your teams midway through drafts. Uh, it was fun, Steve, looking back on some of our early season episodes this year. We actually cited... Did we listen to our lessons learned? So now we're starting to get into a little bit of a rhythm where this is always one of the best shows. So talk me through um, at a high level, you know, before we get into anything in particular, just like recap from a process standpoint, how you felt in general about this year. Was this, was it a, a plus, a minus? Did you feel like you got some things? you know, right with players, but wrong with process. Like what's your 10,000 foot view of, of the season? Um, overall, I think it was probably one of my worst years. Definitely my worst year out of the, the three, um, that we've been doing this show. Um, I won a league last year. I'm not going to win any this year. Um, I was in competition for, regular season titles in a few leagues last year, this year, I, I, you know, I was mathematically alive in a league, but didn't come close really to, to winning one. So standing wise and like result wise, I don't think it was good, but process wise, I think it was all right. Um, if that makes any sense. Um, I think it does. That's where I was going to go. Um, you know, I, I, I did some things that, and, and overcame some adversity in some leagues and, you know, held on to a Trey Turner, even though it was a little bit too little too late. Um, you know, I missed most of his hot stretch and being eliminated from the league at that point. But um, also made some trades that, you know, I traded for Mike Trout a few weeks before his injury, but I traded Joe Ryan and Eloy Jimenez, which on paper was a great trade. Right, um, right. Joe call. Ryan had yeah. a, you know, a lengthy IL stink, not that you root for that or count that as a win. Um, and Eloy was just pretty bad um, all season. Um, and it was just, you know, I guess that's part of the process. Trout's been an injury-prone player, and that's kind of why you get a little bit of a discount there. Um, but still, I, I, w- I was good with that process and would have had a better result in that league had that happened. But um, I also think that there's some things that, you know, I tried to overcorrect correct for some what I thought were weaknesses in 2022. Um, you know, went for catchers a little bit earlier, maybe bumped up some pitchers earlier, which isn't my strength. Um, I think I need to, you know, learn how to 
correct, but not over correct in certain situations. Um, you know, uh, I, I usually am a sucker for the shiny new toys. Um, this year I told myself I wouldn't be, and I don't have any shares of like Corbin Carroll or Gunnar Henderson, things like that. So, yeah, um, yeah. I think, you know, we'll get into it, but there's certain ways to be smart about that while also not like, you know, putting all your eggs in a basket of of a bunch of rookies or anything like that. Um, You have to be smart about investing in in certain guys. And I think there will be guys next year like that. And I think that rather than just me saying, Oh, nope, need to play it safe and have someone with a track record um, smartly invest in those guys. Uh, And if you believe it, stick with it and go for it. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you kind of, scrutinize you know it certainly you mentioned like the results but process wise i feel like over the three seasons you we've talked about it joked about it before how i've kind of gravitated toward your philosophy of like fading early pitching uh hitting the mighty middle i know looking back at like our adp value show like my thought was that we were kind of all over it this year like all through the off season maybe it's just because we talk about a ton of guys but it felt like there weren't that many players that completely stumped us that we didn't discuss or, or you know, think that there could be a breakout happening there. Uh, and maybe, I mean, I mean, definitely there were guys that we liked that it didn't pan out. But overall, like my one of my lessons learned is that they don't all have to be kind of what we got wrong and that there can be some stuff on, on what we got right because I feel like this has probably been – the easiest I've I've coasted in like home league, and I feel like a lot of that was from conversations you and I had going into the draft. Now some things we completely missed on. I know the Cardinals killed us both, and we were big on Newt Bar, big on Brennan Donovan, things like that. But you're not going to hit every time, and I do feel like the formula of kind of early floor in the draft room you know, skip the initial wave of pitchers and then just hammer the middle, which we'll get into, and then go for your boom-bust players uh, that that could pan out. You know, we we were circling around a lot of guys that, that really did pan out. Uh, one thing I'd love to talk about as we get into the show, too, is a little bit beyond the draft, like some free agency stuff, because it was a crazy year in terms of how much, like, the young pitching came up, um, even just crazy stuff like Ellie De La Cruz. At one point, we were comparing him to Corey Seager, and then he like fell fell off. And like what, how you look at Corbin Carroll and, and that outcome versus somebody like uh, you know an Ellie or something like that, where it's like this is can't miss tools. How how high do you reach all that stuff? But um, without further ado, I've been talking about kind of that that idea of trusting the process. And I know that's uh, one thing you wanted to kind of start us off with. So Steve, let's hear uh lesson learned number one for you. And we can just kind of riff a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's trust your gut, trust your process, trust your research. Um, we're going to spend a long cold winter researching and digging into guys and digging into ADP and digging into values that we love and looking at underlying stats and, trying to put together um, and look for guys who may be undervalued, um, undervalued slightly, um, targets that you know you want to bump up from round three to round two or something like that, 
or guys that you want to bump up from round 15 to 10. Um, and there is going to be a lot of good information and good research and good processes that go into that. And I think I sometimes have a hard time sticking to that on draft day. Um, and I'm going to need to tell myself and remind myself that all that work is there for a reason. Um, don't necessarily get caught up in playing draft games and, you know, trying to predict who, what, what guy is going to go where. And if you get sniped somewhere, um, you know, bumping, don't be afraid to bump up a player that you like, um, to make Mm -hmm. sure that you get them. Um, I think that I drafted a little scared in some leagues, uh, because of that, um, that kind of hesitation this year. And I think I need to remind myself that there are processes like I was, you know, all over Matt Olson as an example, um, this off season and passed on him for, for Goldschmidt. Um, yeah, I don't think it was that egregious of a pick. I'm sure there was plenty of drafts where Goldie went over Olsen, but I clearly targeted Olsen for a reason. Not that Goldie wasn't a great target because he had an MVP year and all his underlying numbers were amazing, but you know, there was there was reasons to talk yourself into, you know, drafting Olsen who's younger and, you know, in his power prime still versus an aging guy who's still really good, but may not have, um, you know, the upside of a 52 homer season like Olsen, Olsen has. So um, that's where I'm at there and just want to be able to, you know, remind myself that that research and that process that you put in is is worth something and that you have to, to stick to it and, you know, trust yourself uh, essentially. Yeah, I mean, I like where you mentioned to the idea of like the the long cold winter because we don't really switch off. I mean, once you know, we're a couple shows away from switching to every other week, but we're talking about this all through the fall into the early winter and obviously through through draft season, but one thing that kind of jumped out at me too, Steve, is like there were names that I think we were higher on in October, November, December, that by the time draft season rolled around, we, for whatever reason, had moved a little bit off of them. Like the names that come to mind is like Christian Walker. Uh, we were both super mm-hmm. high on. And mm-hmm. then as draft season got closer, for, for some reason, don't have a he share. just wasn't I don't think I have as a share. much of a priority. Yeah. And, and then the, like Justin Steele was another one. And it's like, those are... You know, the the research that goes into our first impressions, I think we, like, there's a reason for it, like you're saying. And once you start bringing in all the noise from other podcasts, other lists, other, you know, spring training noise comes in, you can kind of move away from it. And then it's, you're kicking yourself when some of those guys go off mm-hmm. and you're like, we were there, like mm-hmm. we were on it. And then we moved off of it. So like that's that's another one that kind of like falls into that. Like I think. like a perfect example. Like, like I don't know. I I tell myself at this point, it's like oh, and like next year there there's so many guys that that should be targets. Like I don't know, you know, just off the top of my head right now, like Michael King has 12 strikeouts tonight. It's like circle Michael King. Like don't forget about Michael King. Like he's awesome. And you know, this sort of happened in the second half of August when he just got a rotation job, and people might not be aware of him. Like. You know, Justin Steele was that guy, 
I think he was added in my home league or drafted in the first, the last round or like the first ad in April. It's like, how did I not throw that, you know, a flyer on Justin Steele after all we talked about him um, in, in the early stages of the offseason? So, yeah, that that's a great point. Yeah. Well, moving over, I, I think, you know, that that's that's the theme. It's going to be throughout. But um, I, I know we, we cited often, but Little Piranha's question to us is like process over results. We'll have to do our best to like track that. But I think. My, my takeaway from my intro and then what you were saying is that at this point we do know the the things that we typically look for and more often than not they've they've pointed us in the right direction so i think that's the segue to the the second note that you kind of converted me on and it still holds true of the pitching you just do not need to invest at the very top of it especially in this landscape now where Yes, Garrett Cole has kind of swirled around and been like kind of the de facto number one overall starting pitcher just because we know he's going to land close to there. But he's not even like a a standalone pitcher. So it's like that's where you can load up on bats. And when I look at the, the guys this year that we had viewed as like that mighty middle class, just looking at some of these names, man. And yes, I'm skipping one or two that, you know, a Nick Lodolo in there, or like a Hunter Green that didn't work out as much. But Logan Webb, George Kirby, if you remember Jeffrey Springs before the TJ, Drew Rasmussen as well, uh, Freddie Peralta, Tyler Glasnow, Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez, all of those names were kind of in that like pick 70 to 150-ish range. And if you grabbed four bats in the upfront and then just hammered that middle class of pitching, you were in pretty good shape. And that's not even counting all the, you know, youngsters that came up or the, the real deep flyers like a Justin Steele. So that's just one that like, I haven't even looked at where the, the draft board is for pitchers. I mean, I'm sure Strider's up at the top. I'm sure Cole's going to be there per usual, but I can already tell you that, I'm going to be with you, assuming, Steve, that you will as well, on not taking a pitcher until after pick 50. And I'm happy to grab, you know, kind of an an SP1 before it gets hopeful. And I like Nick's process on four for floor when he's talking about, like, you do want to make sure you're confident in four starters. But I couldn't have been happier with how, like, the early rounds of my pitching drafting went this year. So that's... That's a positive lesson learned that that I wanted to start with and, and get your thoughts on, I guess, the pitching landscape because we, we're free to talk about it if we want. Not to make this uh, bring up uh, the, the other fantasy sport that shall not be named, but fantasy football. Um, the top starters to me are a lot similar to like the top quarterbacks. In fantasy, like, yes, mm-hmm. those guys always have the most points and they're always great and they they always have, um, you know, a high floor. Um, but the difference between them and guys that you could find essentially on the wire from any given week may not be that much. Like, the replacement value isn't there, essentially. And then on top of that, you know, pitchers only start usually once a week and they're also injured a lot more often than than hitters are which is different than 
you know, the landscaping quarterbacks, uh, you know, if they sure. play the same amount of games, like they're not, uh, you know, uh, the metaphor yeah. was great while it yeah. lasted. Yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. <laughs> I don't need to go too too deep into it, but you know, I I know Gray, Gray at Rasball always, um, you know, um, it has extravagant rants about this and always you know uses hyperbole about you know you could have had this this and this staff like my staff is number one in the league with. Pitchers drafted in round 12, 15, 17, and 20. Like, yes, if you cherry pick, you do have amazing staffs. But if you do use that process and identify the best targets and put your chips in the right baskets, like, you are going to have as good a staff as someone that takes Garrett Cole in the first round. So, um, yeah, I, I'll I'll die by this process until, you know, the game is different or there's just totally different results. Uh, so couldn't agree more. Yeah, just looking at SPs in terms of season-ending rank, uh, Garrett Cole is, at least on my settings, SP1 in terms of rank. Justin Steele is number two. Spencer Strider is number three. Blake Snell is number four. Luis Castillo is number five. So Snell was another one that was in that Mm post-100 range. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Eflin's right up there as, like, top 10. He was Uh 200-plus. Eovaldi... Um, mentioned Sonny Gray. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, it, it's, it's really, there are great uh, guys. There are great guys. And those guys that drafted early are likely to finish in this group, which is, doesn't make it a bad play, but there's also guys like, yeah, Eflin, Pablo Lopez, Logan Gilbert, Chris Bassett, Mitch Keller, George Kirby, um, Merrill Ker- Kelly, Kyle British is the 21st ranked pitcher in my, in my home league. Like it's nuts. It, it, it's nuts. Like Kyle British was free until May, maybe even later. Um, you know, Kodai Senga, like there's smart plays like that, that, you know, um, make the replacement value for ace starting pitchers just too high. Um, and, and there's other guys that you can get if you target the right guys. Like, Eno Saris was talking about Kyle Bradish's slider since last year when he stunk. Like, you know, he mm-hmm. was like pitchers I like after pick four hundred. You know that that's yes. the article that he was he was drafted. There are yeah right. There so, are resources yeah, out there yeah. to to figure out what the the smart dart yeah. throws are, and then yeah, it's just a matter of of kind of moving and, and being nimble when you do see somebody kind of surging on the wire. And then that's not even uh, to mention that there are landmines like, you know, you, 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 how safe you couldn't have felt safer with drafting Sandy Alcantara this year. How'd that work out? Yeah, yeah exactly. I do think maybe look like if, if I'm going into this draft season saying that, that I'm, I'm not going to draft a pitcher in the first four rounds, but then I'm going to draft four pitchers in the next six rounds. Mm-hmm. I think that philosophy looking, because kind of spoiler alert, another lesson learned I have is is kind of a sub bullet in TGFBI was my outfield was awful. And we were laughing about like how thin outfield was, you know, it felt like it got, it fell off a cliff at like pick 80, pick 90 and like, you know, SP or outfield two and outfield three, like you almost had to have a plan for it, which was unique to other years. All that said, as it relates to pitching, if you're going to dedicate such a big window of your draft, 
I think it might raise the need to kind of have a plan for, for some of those scarce positions. Like you better have your parachutes. And what I found out the hard way was for outfield, it, it's, it's harder when you need two parachutes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there when there's some five position where, slots. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, here I am uh, praying Ryan Noda is a good OF three for me. Not yeah. like a, he was a good, he was a, a good OF six. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that's, that's good convo. Uh, we got, Many more here, but we're going to take our first ad break and we'll be right back. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. All right. So Steve uh, set us off with another lesson learned for 2023. Yeah, I think I've, I've mentioned this a bunch and I never listened to it. Um, I am avoiding any first year players like superstars in super big contracts. Um, probably mm-hmm. more so uh, position players. Um, but you know, I wrote out Marcus Simeon's slump, uh, in 2022, I wrote out Trey Turner's slump this year. Um, I think there is a large mental toll on these guys that sign new deals, in new places with masses amount of pressure. Um, especially the guys that are a little bit older, like, you know, 29, 30, um, even Francisco Lindor too, right. Struggled, uh, yeah. his, his first bit. And sure, well, Matt, Ol- sh- Matt Olson with yep. the Braves uh, yep. hit 240 in his his first year. I'm sure there will be examples of players that that perform right away, and there will be. But um, it's just something that I think is needs to be considered, and I think it takes a toll on these guys. Like Xander Bogarts too. I know he had some injury troubles, but did not live up to that first year of the contract. Um, that being said, I think that maybe it's. Uh, you just want to avoid them in the first few months because it looks like guys stop pressing. Uh, you know, once you see that chase rate um, go down, uh, it's a good, good, good way to buy. I guess maybe that's a that's a good way to tell, right? Like Marcus Simeon and Trey Turner's had extremely high chase rates um, early on in their stints with new teams, um, so they were just swinging at everything uncharacteristically, and therefore not hitting the pitches they wanted to, to hit. I also remember Lindor showed his pressing by being too passive. He wasn't swinging at anything, but waiting for the perfect pitch. Okay. So there, there's there's other ways to, to, to press, but I think it's a, a good rule of thumb uh, to sort of, you know, maybe Trey should have been bumped down two or three notches on my draft board rather than one overall or two overall. Uh, you know, I'm not saying... 
totally avoid and like it's a, a horrible thing to sign this amazing player uh, or draft this amazing player just because he, he signed a new deal. But it's just something to keep in mind. Uh, yeah, just I continuing down yeah. down the rabbit hole. I mean, we saw it with Goldschmidt yep. in St. Louis. Uh-huh. Um, we saw it with Corey Seager. Who who hit two forty five last year with the Rangers? Mm-hmm. This year he hit three thirty. He's hitting three thirty one as we record this. Um, so there's definitely instances. On the flip side, Steve, what's kind of interesting is like looking at just league ranks right now. Like kind of the highest performer, new environment guy is Cody Bellinger with the Cubs. But that's the, a guy who kind uh, of yeah, had he, no he pressure. Had to, like, and he had to like fight for his job. He didn't have a massive contract to try and justify. You know, right, I think it's right. more of the the thirty million dollars for ten years kind of thing that you know these guys sort of press uh, to start to try and justify that until they get more comfortable. Like I know that there was no correlation with the 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 home crowd cheering Trey Turner when he was hitting you know two thirty with eleven home runs like four weeks ago, but I mean, yeah, there there's a mental aspect and these guys are the. These guys are human too. Uh, there, there's a reason why uh, you know that a slump to start the season in a the first year of a, ma- a mega deal is different than a slump for a guy you know in the third year of his arbitration that's making twenty million dollars a year that way. You know. Yeah. So just looking at some of the off season names, uh, Shohei Otani. Um, Dodgers and Mets kind of pursuing that one. I think uh, is a special case that I can. You think my, so? Uh, he, he's my, exempt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially You're because breaking your lesson. Especially man. because he's not going to pitch next year. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know. He's like the one guy that might not apply to because he's just <laughs> not human. Well, it doesn't matter anyway because you're not taking him one, and if you have the second pick. You're not taking anybody else, but Otani, yeah, right? yeah, that's also true. Yeah, well, Julio Arias is another one. Aaron Nola, and then it kind of—I mean, just looking at the pitchers are here, different. It's pitchers like, are a little bit different. I feel. Yeah, but the other hitters are like Matt Chapman. Yeah, there's not a great. Uh, there's not a great. Um, Reese Hawks, Hoskins. There might not be Matt. one for uh, unless like Soto's traded and signs a massive a deal trade. or something or. Yeah. He signs a massive deal, but again, that's also if he's at the same team, if he would sign with the Padres. So, yeah, but it's just something to keep in mind. Yeah, it is. Um, no, that, that makes sense. This one, this next one, Steve, it's it's killing me because it's actually the same lesson learned I had from a calendar mm-hmm. year ago from 2022 Got to be careful on on overreacting to the second half splits. And I know we do shows down the home stretch here where we're like, don't miss this production from this person. This could be a breakout. But if you remember, I got burnt as hard, as hot as I've ever been burnt on this show with Yasmani Grandal. And then all in the offseason, there are a lot of second half split guys who I was also really in on. Eloy Jimenez was one. Taylor Ward was one. Lars Newtbar. And it just didn't really translate. Bichette was another one who looked otherworldly. Although he's a weird case with just like three steals or something on the season. But I'm, I'm curious your take on this because, you know, it, it's it's also, it can be a path to, to finding a breakout. 
for a pitcher as well. But Hunter Green was another one that we were looking at like his last six or seven starts and the whole industry kind of got suckered into viewing Hunter Green as the next Shane McClanahan. And it's like, you know, it, it to me, it's now two years in a row to where I'm going to have to have a, a bigger grain of salt on saying like, oh, look what they did second half of the season. Last year, Eloy was the number two hitter in the league in the second half of the season. He's been a bump. So what are your thoughts on uh, this one? As Are you with me on, on caution with this? It's a careful balancing act because there is there are values to identify. Uh, Blake Snell, yeah, Blake Snell, a, a positive. And I version, think that maybe but... it's 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 more helpful for pitchers just because hitting is, you know, there's an old cliche. It's like guys have two okay months, one really bad month, and one really good month, like throughout the the baseball season or whatever the old adage is, and like. You don't really know when that's going to come. Um, for pitchers and smaller samples, like a second half, you can see more noticeable and tangible changes. For hitters, a lot of like adjustment and work comes in the offseason. Um, it also could be a matter of like that's when a healthy stretch of playing time comes. Like, you know, with Taylor Ward, like last year, he started off really good, was hurt, got healthy, was really good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, Eloy, a guy who was always injured, probably just had a good run of health um, last year. This year, he's been playing like seemingly banged up like every day, uh, despite him just DHing. So, um, yeah, and like I don't think Newbar was like necessarily like a bad process. Like he was pretty good until he got hurt and was hurt twice this season. So. Uh, yeah, I'm on record for the bounce back yeah, for news. So, yeah, yeah, that's uh, I'm not I'm not out on it. I'm it, just curious. It's just I think yeah. I think it's it's dangerous to play this game with hitters in a small sample of a second half. So, if you could do me a favor, Steve, so my internet doesn't crash, is can can we look up like a second half leaderboard on hitters? Because right now I've just got kind of the hottest players over the over the past month. And like, I'd love to just go through a few names and say what, you know, speculate what we think could be a little bit of a, a banana peel that we got to be careful on. And and we've got all off season to kind of like break these down. But like one that that's jumping out is like Seiya Suzuki, who in the past month has seven homers. He's hitting 358, like dude is on fire. But then you look at the season line. He's got 19 homers, batting 279, like it's solid. But should we be cautious not to like bump Seiya Suzuki up to like, I don't know, pick 100 or something as like an OF2 just because he had a a hot second half? Uh, other, I mean, Marcelo Zuna, it's, mm-hmm. it hasn't even been the second half. It's been the whole season, but he comes to mind. Royce Lewis, although that's a salivating talent that we've been waiting for health for a long time. 11 homers in the past month. Um, so I'm just uh, I'm just kind of curious if there's ones. And, and I guess even like a Trey Turner, who, who we were just talking about last show of like, you know, look what he's done in the second half. And if you if he did that the whole year and everything. But can we give people the free pass and just uh, and just double their second half stats? I think it has to be a case by case basis. It's funny doing the second half leaderboard, just sorting by WRC plus. With just the qualified hitters, like you kind of avoid, like there's no say a Suzuki here, 
Um, you know, there's no Royce Lewis because it's just such a small, it's even a small sample within that. But like, just the names on the second half splits are like the leaders for WRC Plus. It's just the guys who are good. It's Mookie Betts, Matt Olson, Shohei Itani, Okunia, Altuve. Um, you know, Tristan Casas is a name that sort of pops up at nine. That's that's the first one. Bregman had a nice bounce back. Uh, he's 11th in WRC Plus since the second half. Uh, Ozuna's 13th, Renjifo, Flores, J.P. Crawford. But, like, the rest of this list is all guys who are just good. Uh, say Suzuki's up there. He's he's 29th, right behind Trey Turner. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think maybe getting even into the micro samples is where it, it's, it's, it's even more troubling. Like... Maybe you September, need to ask yourself, yeah. like, was it a good second half or was it a good month? Um, you know, that's something that I think maybe could be a good back check. Um, like, did this squad qualify and is he on this leaderboard that I have uh, that I have up? Or do I need to, like, you know, go down to whatever, uh, 90 or 100 plate appearances or something like that for the second half? So I, I think that that's, like, a, a, good, a good back check. But, like, yeah, it's like... Luis Vernjifo has the 14th highest WRC plus uh, in the second half. Like, how legit is that? I, I don't know. That's that's still a tough question. But um, yeah, there, there's there's still other things that I think are telling, and you just need to use it in a larger sample. Like, okay, was this was this guy's barrel rate great all year, and then the results just came in the second half? That might find it. You know, that might make me believe it more rather than just, oh, well, you know, this guy had eight homers in September. Like, make sure he's on my team uh, yeah. next year. I think uh, Requires further research. Yeah. Like, Schwarber's another one that, like, if you didn't know better, you you would look at what he's done. You know, his season batting average is still at 198, but the past month, a 267 mm-hmm. average and 13 homers. Like, you know, what you want to avoid, right, is just saying – Schwarber is now a 250 hitter because there was a tweet about a swing change. It's like, no, Schwarber will be sub 230 somewhere yeah. around there. Like, think about think about how bad the months had to be for him to still be sub 200 if he had 267 over the last six weeks. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, all right, Steve, back uh, back your way. If uh, you want to give us another learning or just a topic we can uh, kind of probe on here. Yeah, I think that. Um, it's something that I, I faded away from or didn't do that, that much of this year or just couldn't. But um, I think that buying low is something that, you know, uh, buying low on superstar names, even though it's harder than you can do. But I, I think that if there's people that are frustrated with Trey Turner in mid-July, like I saw on the Picture List Discord trade offers that went out of like, you know, a middling shortstop mm-hmm. and a number three starter for Trey Turner, just because these guys, you know, players wanted them off his, their team. You know, Julio Rodriguez was a massive disappointment for the first oh, yeah. two and a half months of the season, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, and I, like another one that comes to mind is Kyle Tucker yeah. was very much ho hum, and everyone was like, "Do something, do something." Now, pretty much thirty thirty mm-hmm. to eighty five, which means he was. Even better than that, to like pull his his ratios up, 
Um, and sure, there are some downsides to this. Like, I know Vlad was a great buy low, at least in my mind this year, and it never really turned on. Fernando Tatis, too. Like, never really turned on. I traded for Rafael Devers two years ago, you know, in 2022, mm-hmm. and he was a shell of himself in the second half. Like, yeah, sure, that there was an injury that was involved in that, too. But there are some downsides, but I think you're still better off. If, there's, if there ever are, if there ever is a name like that that's dangled, I think you should pay whatever the price is. Um, I think that's what do you that's think? Like the, the risk. I know it's like a precise question for kind of a tricky mechanism, but what what time of year do you think is most high opportunity for that buy low? Like, because just scrolling the names, like Austin Riley is another huge one. Mm-hmm. Like he had thirty six homers. I bet thirty of those came after like. May fifteenth, like he he was very slow to start. I think there's and I think there's two times. I think it's like the end of May. Um, some people like say like two months, uh, they've had enough, and then like that's, right that's before, pretty late right, and then too. right that's before a full two months because because yeah. you got to give those names a full two months. Yeah. I think they're not going to um, do it in six weeks. Yeah. I think some people would start to fade on that. Um, I think Austin Riley was very gettable at that time. Um, I traded for Marcus Simeon around that time. I think right around mm-hmm. um, uh, Memorial Day last year. Um, I don't think he had a home run <laughs> until that point. Um, yeah. And then, like, I think, you know, the big, big names, I think you probably would have saw more of Julio and Trey being traded around, like, pre-All-Star break. Like, if they're still struggling and not themselves then. Uh, you know, but guys like Tucker already started to heat up at that point, so. Buy windows may close by then too, um, so it, it there, there's no hard and fast date, and you know it's always easier said than done to say, "Hey, buy low on this first round player." Like, yeah, no duh. Um, but I think that when there is opportunity, that you should you should jump on it, and uh, at, at least the elite elite guys. Yeah, I mean, and there's some examples too. You know, like uh, Christian Walker is another one. Like he he was a free agent ad for me at one point, and he ended up with the, having a great season with, yeah, 30 homers, pretty much hit 260. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think this is a good one and probably one that we should, we should challenge ourselves more because I think sometimes we – there's like a confirmation bias, right, where like you just see something struggling and you're like, yeah, there's something going on. Maybe they're playing through an injury yeah. or maybe they're just not right. But like that, that's that's kind of a waft test for us. I mean, I, 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 to, could, I couldn't get rid of Trey Turner in my home league at one point when I was mistakenly shopping him, uh, you know. Uh, yeah. There were some embarrassing trade offers that I probably sent out you know, laughing back, they would have gotten accepted. Uh, looking back, I would have been laughing uh, at myself had they been accepted. So, um, yeah, it, it's hard to do that. And, you know, you, you do get frustrated, but I think you have to basically either hold those guys or trade for them uh, if you can. Yep. All right. Well, a few more learnings, guys. We're going to take our second ad break. We'll be right back after this. Uh, so Steve, from here, I want to I want to jump into some some more specific learnings, just because you know at this point we're we're playing in the industry leagues pretty regularly. You can add some color commentary here, but 
a couple of good and the bad for me. The the good, as I've uh, talked about plenty, maybe too much, was was the Raz Slam Best Ball League where uh, I I made it to kind of the the final top twenty, missed a cut. Now I'm still in this like wild card thing, but it's kind of falling apart. At one point. And I screenshotted it, Steve, because you told me to. I was number one overall in like July. And of course, you just draft, and it's very much a draft and see what happens format. So there's an element of luck, no question. But if I were to share the, the lessons learned that looking back went well for me, I think the main themes were around volume and around depth. And a lot of that was kind of hearing and reading, you know, tips from industry experts out there who kind of push the same thing. But I found it to be very true that in that range, deep ranges of like a a best ball league, rather than than grabbing the shiniest toys like the Andrew Painters or whatever it was, there was also some, I I was balancing it quite a bit with guys who were kind of the oatmeal-y glue pieces that ended up being really, really useful for me. Like when, when I was showing my home league buddies, my team that was number one in wrestling, they were like, how is that team number one overall? <laughs> like they don't, they don't even look that good up and down. But then you look at these stuff and things, guys, like a JP Crawford, you mentioned Ren Hifo, even like Jose Siri, platoon guys, Jake Fraley, Ryan Noda was an everyday volume guy, but, but, and, and a name you put me on to Steve, but like, those types of kind of boring volume instead of uh, Oscar Colas, things like that, I found to be so useful just because those are the ones that you know are going to play. And if you know they're going to play, there's go- there's going to be good weeks. There's going to be good starts for pitchers. And even if they're garbage for some of the season, uh, insert Steven Matz was, was just like an add-on pitcher that we liked from PLV. And it was like, yeah, he's going to get some, some innings, some, some starts. And while he's bad at the the beginning of the year, then he completely turned it around for like a month and a half stretch. And that's all you need. So that was a really good learning. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you want to want to jump in on any best ball thoughts. Cause it gets bad for me after that with the, uh, the TGFBI as I've hinted at. I think it's a great, great point. Um, for best ball leagues, and I think you know our best ball team did okay. I think we finished. We're going to finish around fifth. Um, I think out of tenth, um, maybe maybe it's a twelve team league. It's twelve team league, so top half. Um, but I think it's Jeff Brisson that says it, and it's even more important. I think he does great in these formats, in best ball formats. Like you need to draft at bats at innings pitched. Uh, like the the number one commodity is playing time, uh, and it really is in all leagues, um, but even more so in best balls where you don't have uh, waiver wires or anything like that to uh, to to pick yourself up or wrestling where there's only two periods, um, like a, the cut line format. So I I, I think it's a, a great great point, and I'm going to definitely focus on it more. I think. I want to do a few more best balls um, next year. It's a nice format because you don't have any any work to do once the draft happens. So um, with that, I'm going to you know keep that strategy in mind. Do some more reading on that too. Uh, you know some bench strategies and things like that. Um, you know how to balance 
okay, I drafted a prospect here who may not play, pick up, like who may not be up for X amount of time in the season. Make sure you have X, Y, and Z to cover that position with boring oatmeal guys who are guaranteed to at least have a shot at playing time um, from the start. So um, I think that's a great point and a great lesson learned, and I think that's a good reason why your team was so good in Slam this year. And our shared team wasn't bad either, like like you said, fifth out of 12, but we kind of followed somewhat a, a similar strategy. Like there's some of those same vanilla names in there, and I think that's, yeah, it's just a good one. If we're going to be playing in these formats and, and doing it every year, which we will, I know we talked about doing like a Survivor mm-hmm. League too where there's even shallower rosters and you can't make any moves, uh, so health becomes more important, but... Yeah, it, it's not to say you can never go for the home runs because though that's how that's how you win big. Mm-hmm. It's like we had in both the Raz Slam one for me and our best ball, like we had Nolan Gorman that looked great <laughs> for you know a, a month or two. Um, so that you could still take your swings, but you got to kind of chase it with some some really solid volume and your your Mike Yastrzemski or you know whoever it is. So yeah, enough said on that one. On TGFBI, on the other hand, Steve. It's more purgatory for me as it has been for the past couple of years. Um, I think I'm being swayed a little bit by my by my home league where I do tend to go for Same. as I refer I, to them. I am too in these leagues too, man. Oh, I refer to it as the Boy Scouts, where it's like guys who got you know high runs, good average, you know home runs overrated. You can find a Jake Berger, things like that. But this year I was like dead last in homers. RBIs were close. Um, and I had too many of those guys that are like the, whether it's the Stephen Kwan or, you know, the, to a lesser extent, like a Benintendi type of mold. Um, I've just got to prioritize a little bit more of the sexy stats of like the steals and the, the homers. So I think I shy away so much from like the Luis Robert type in my home league. Cause we have plate discipline and you get docked for strikeouts and everything. I got to move on from that. And then, as I mentioned earlier, outfield completely snuck up and killed me. Like my OF one was like Eloy Jimenez Mm -hmm. and you're not going to finish higher than seventh with, with that. Um, Closers. I tried, I think I had Ryan Helsley and and Felix Bautista. So, and and I still struggled with like whip and and save. So some of it unlucky, but the closer rat race on the wire is such a pain for me to manage. Like I, I'm not proving on fab that, that I can do that mm-hmm. effectively. So I don't know if I just need to draft like several closers and hold my nose a little bit. Um, but yeah, those, those were some of my big learnings on, on TGFBI. So not sure if you got ones off the cuff, Steve, but would love to finish in like the top third next year, just for my own health and wellness. Same. I think it's hard for us who have, come from and, and grew up in but the, the style of fantasy that I play is head-to-head daily moves leagues where you could you know drop a guy at a guy you know focus on a category a week if you have a matchup and then I also focus on on roto standings in those leagues and usually do good but the way to get those roto points are different in, in than in than in a, an industry league like TGFBI because there's no trading, there's only weekly ads um, and much deeper rosters. Um, so I think um, 
a better way to approach it and how I'm, go- I'm going to approach it next year is to use something like a standings points gained or something like the, the Razzball um, draft tool where, you know, you input your team and it gives, you know, you can pick your certain projections and it gives you, okay, hey, you're projected for this amount of home runs, this amount of um, steals, this amount, you know, you're weak in runs, so maybe next pick's focus on a guy that is a strong leadoff hitter or something like that. Um that I normally wouldn't do in like a head to head or, or my home league, um, just because um, it's not really. I, I think it's a good tool for that too, but I think it's even more important in in a league with less moves, deeper rosters, and more teams, um, and no trading. So um, I'm going to focus on 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 that next year and like the standing point gain uh, model for for the industry 15 team roto leagues like TGFBI. Yeah. Did you uh round out in the same same range or did you make any like, um, late season no, run? No, no, I think I was like 10th or something like that. Um yeah. So I'm looking now. Yeah. That's exactly where I'm at. 10th yeah. out of 15th. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, that's it's room room to grow, no question on that. It's going to be a goal. Um, it's going to be a goal of mine to to be a lot better in in that league. Yeah. That's that's for sure. I am I am eleventh, um, seventh in turf, um, fifth in our best ball, eighth in the twelve team on the wire league. It is like the definition of mid this year for me in the industry leagues. Yeah. Well, off rundown, Steve. Kind of kind of rounding out here. What about in terms of in season management? Like you mentioned, buy lows. As it relates to the wire, I feel like it was kind of a wacky season. Um, you know, industry leagues, it's you're kind of scratching and clawing. It, it, most people are kind of already already rostered in most leagues, um, but just in general, like home leagues beyond. What were your thoughts on on kind of the the ads this season? Because there were like the ten young starting pitchers. They all kind of were up and down at certain points of time. And like, we thought we were seeing this wave of like six SP twos or threes. And then some of them turned out to be fake news. Even like Ellie, I, like I said earlier, like we were going nuts and then he kind of came back down to, to reality. Um, any big takeaways on like what you would do differently on, on pouncing on, on the wire or being more patient with guys that you might've dropped uh, is, any thoughts come to mind on on what you might do differently as it relates to free agents? I think agents the biggest thing wires? for me, um, as far as like ads off off the wire um, this year, is that there are great ads out there at any point in time. Like like I know that we we talk about how like you you miss. Um, or you want to be aggressive early because there's some guys that. Um, you know, get scooped up quickly and can impact your team for for the whole year. That being said, I also think that 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 is true, um, and you do want to get those guys early because they can have a the, the longest impact. But you know, um, I I think there was Marcelo Zuna was on the wire until July in a lot of leagues. Um, you know. There, there's guy like say a Suzuki was was on the wire yeah. until early August and like he sat four games in a row so like shouldn't have been on anyone's roster right um, 
Like if you transport yourself back in time to any point in time this season and you had the knowledge that you have now and look at the wire, there is going to be guys that you add and drop immediately. Um, that's just something that uh, was more apparent to me this year, uh, more so than ever, and that I kind of have to tell myself and remind myself. Like anytime that you're looking at the wire and think that there's nothing to be done, like there is a guy that you're going to wish that you snagged. Uh, in a few weeks because that's just the nature of baseball um, in this game that we play. So um, that, that was, that was something that stand out to me and, and not that, um, you know, there aren't those amazing and breakout pickups that, that could be league winners early. Uh, those are, there's still there and they'll still be there. Um, but there's, there's, there's good players at, at all points is, is sort of something that I was reminded of this year. Yeah, it's a good call. And I think like as we were on the show, you know, we need content every week. We're talking about like hot players. There were even some guys that you and I talked about for like two weeks in a row. And I, as a manager, wasn't even fully sold on it. And then it's like Lane Thomas was one, Um, Bryson Stott, like some of these guys just like never stopped producing and eventually – they're on someone else's roster, and you're just like, oh. I mean, C.J. Abrams is, an, is another mm-hmm. great example of, of that. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. This this year it was shaped a little bit differently that, like, a lot of those – yeah, there was, like, Matt McClain and stuff like that, but a lot of – I don't want to say league winners, but huge contributors down the stretch were guys who were probably on most free agent lists in, like, late June, which just seems different. And, and – yeah, Kerry Carpenter, Ozuna, like names that weren't uh, like fab wars, like they were just kind of <laughs> hanging out there and, and you kind of just took it as, yeah, we'll give it a try. So, yeah, that's interesting. It's always one that um, I think we got to assess and, and try to take into next year. So, uh, yeah, man, that, that probably rounds us out. Um, any closing thoughts here? No, I think it's... Uh... Dude, this is definitely the second time that we've done this show, right? Uh, lesson learned, and definitely. I know we did to, it in twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. Definitely gonna remind ourselves, and and I think the biggest takeaway for me is like the the early research that we do when we're fresh off the season. Like, don't forget about that. Just, and I think it's you know we want fresh and new content. Like, we don't want to talk about the same players every week. Like, that would not be a good show, but. Um, Keep those keep Don't those guys let in mind. Nick Pollock. Don't let Nick Pollock convince us <laughs> otherwise when we have to talk with him and he just berates us for liking someone. Cause yes, it yes. could be Ranger Suarez, but it could be Justin exactly. Steele too. Exactly. <laughs> uh can't wait. Uh, we're not far away from those two early mocks, but uh some fun shows ahead, guys. Uh we'll we'll be close enough on the next show to to full season ending stats that we'll probably do a very player focused show as opposed to uh, process and then we definitely got to do our our bold predictions and chalkboard review uh and then yeah before we know it we'll be talking about uh you know draft targets for next year which can't wait already so that wraps us up guys for episode 118 as always you guys can follow us on twitter at wins above pod i'm at van underscore verified steve is at stav 8818 go out and give us a rating and review if you can this time of year goes a long way really appreciate it uh but until next week uh thanks for talking baseball with us. thanks guys